Good morning, everyone. This is my second Sunday in a row. I'm so glad to be here. And if you came back this week knowing I was going to be here, way to go. You're a brave person. If it was an accident, well, it was an accident. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn with me probably to Matthew chapter 22, where we're going to read from a passage now for the third time, third Sunday, uh, as I preach this passage to you and as we look at it together, Matthew chapter 22, and it's on the screen, but it's also in the Bibles in front of you on page 828. This is God's word we're about to read from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. Hear now the word of God. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we just heard words that you spoke to your disciples 2,000 years ago. And we confess to you, many of us, that we have, we've heard these words before so many times that we wonder, can they actually touch our lives and change us today? Well, we call no one our teacher but you. We love no one like we love you. We trust no one like we trust you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. And so we're asking you now to please send Holy Spirit to us. May he come, may he fill each heart in this room so that our eyes may be open and our hearts softened to serve you and love you more faithfully because of this portion of your word. If you'll do that, Lord Jesus, we pledge to you that we will give you the honor for it and we will glorify you for it. Amen. You have a friend in your life that you ask a simple question to that friend and they just keep talking about other stuff. I mean, you know, what you really want is a simple answer to the one question you ask and maybe they'll answer that question, but then they just keep on going and talking and talking and talking and talking about other things. That's one of the reasons I love texting so much. You know, you ask somebody a question, you don't even have to say, hey, how you doing? All you got to do is just ask the question. And then all they've got to do is just write back what their answer to the question is. And if they add extra stuff, if they go on talk, talking about other things, you can ignore it completely and go on your business, right? I mean, that's what the great world of texting is all about, convenience. Well, when people go on and on after you've asked them a simple question, you know, it can be irritating and I'm sure it was irritating to the lawyer that asked Jesus a simple question in this passage right here. Because he asked Jesus, Jesus, out of all the commands that are in the Bible, out of everything that the Bible says, what's the most important of them all? And Jesus gave him a good answer right up front. Simple. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he wouldn't stop talking. And he went on to something that the lawyer didn't even ask him 
He said, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if I had been that lawyer, I would have been irritated, not just because Jesus didn't stick with the question, but because he brought up something that's so very hard to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, maybe you're here today and you consider yourself a very religious person, a person of faith, and, you know, you like the fact that you are straight with God because you've come to God in Christ and you feel like your, your relationship with God is strong and good and wholesome, but you know as well as I do that no matter how wholesome that relationship is, you've got other relationships that are not so wholesome, and you know what they are. It's relationships with other people. Sometimes the people who are in your family, maybe right here in this church, the people at work, the people in this city, people, they're a big problem. And so when Jesus tells us, look, I can't just say the first, I've got to say the second also, and he brings up this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, it ought to irritate you a little bit because now he's gone around to messing with the most pious life in the room. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a lot of confusion about those words. And so we need to start off this morning with just a very simple question. What did Jesus mean? What did he mean when he said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself? In our world today, people are so confused by those words because they put them on placards and they put them on signs, even put them on bumper stickers and things like that. Even people who don't claim to follow Jesus will refer to this expression, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, there's a movie that was made a few years ago and it was titled, Love Your Neighbor, Love Thy Neighbor. And it was a movie about two couples in the neighborhood who traded partners with each other and called it Loving Your Neighbor. That's how confused people are about what Jesus meant. Let me just tell you, if anybody in here wonders whether that's the right way to think about it, let me just tell you, it's not. Now, in our culture today, when we use the word love to mean giving pleasure to people, receiving pleasure from people, which is basically what we mean by it in modern America today, it's no wonder people can get messed up and think that that's what Jesus is talking about giving pleasure to people, receiving pleasure from people. But as we're going to see, Jesus meant something much more important than that, much more significant than giving and receiving pleasure. In the Bible, when they talk about love, and by the way, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting the passage that we read earlier today in Leviticus chapter 19. Do you remember that? You didn't see anything there about giving pleasure and receiving pleasure, did you? No, it talked about things like, well, when you harvest your field, leave some left, leave some there for people that don't have anything to eat. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you see a blind person, don't stick your foot out and trip them. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you see someone who's deaf, don't be mocking them behind their backs and whispering things about them. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you go to court, don't try to get favor. Just try to get justice, whether you're rich or poor. Just do the right thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when Jesus refers to loving your neighbor as yourself, what he's talking about here is the kind of commitment that people make to each other, of living honorably with each other, 
living together with each other, standing with each other in ways that require patience and kindness and devotion to other people. It's a very different notion of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And another big confusion point. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, we love that last little bit, don't we? Because you know what so many people say about that. If you're going to love people, then you've got to do something else first. And you know what it is. You've got to love yourself. Because you can't love other people unless you love yourself. Well, that's great for people who are already inclined to make the whole universe rotate around themselves, who already think that the most important thing in the world is to love yourself, because when do you ever, when you have that mentality, when do you ever love yourself enough to get around to loving anybody else? The answer is usually never. Thank you very much, but I'm feeling good because I'm going in the right direction. Love myself. And then I'll be able to love other people. Well, let me just tell you in very simple terms what Jesus is saying here, quoting that book, Leviticus. To love your neighbor as yourself simply means this. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. How would you want to be treated if you were that other person? And if you can see how you would want to be treated, how you would want to be loved, then love your neighbor that way. If you were blind, would you want someone to trip and push you? If you were deaf, would you want them to mock you? If you were in court, would you want them to treat you unfavorably and unfairly? If you were hungry, would you want those who have to just eat it all up for themselves? Of course not. So put yourself in the other person's shoes and ask yourself, how would I want to be loved and love your neighbor that way? You know, there's an adage that we could add to this that makes a lot of sense to me anyway. And it's one of those natural tendencies that human beings have. You know, it goes like this. We like people who are like us. And if you're different from me, I'm really not going to like you all that much. Turn it around this way. I can love you if you are like me. But if you're different from me and you have needs that are not my needs, if you have desires that are not my desires, if you have problems that are not my problems, I'm not going to love you because that requires way too much from me. But followers of Jesus, aren't you glad that Jesus was able to sympathize enough with you and me that he would love us the way he loves us? I mean, just think of how different we are from him and how patient and how kind, how tender he is with you and me every single day. And by the way, if, if you're here today and you don't know that kind of love from Jesus, that wonderful love that he looks at people where they are, as they are, and has sympathy for them and gives of himself to them, if you've never experienced that, it's not hard to get to the point where you can have that kind of love for Jesus in your own life. All you have to do is come to him, trust in him. Come to him, trust in him, and he will love you like you have never been loved before. 
And those of you who know that kind of love from Jesus, how can we do anything but be like him when we look across the aisle, when we look at each other in our families, when we think even about our enemies, how can we do anything other than say, you know, if I were that person, this is what I would need and do our best to love our neighbor as ourselves. So it doesn't have to do with giving pleasure, receiving pleasure. It doesn't have to do with making sure you love yourself first so you can love other people. It has all to do with getting in the other person's shoes and saying to yourself, man, how would I want to be loved? But to get the force of what Jesus is saying and why he would put it right next to loving God, we have to understand something else that a lot of people have confusion about these days. And that is, who are people? Who are our neighbors? Who are these things called human beings? Do you know that we live in a day when people are utterly confused about what people are? If, if I had been here 30 years ago, I could have said something like this. Uh, today, America is filled up with humanism and people all around us think themselves to be gods and they think they're all that and they're too proud and so on and so forth. We could go on and on and on. And there are still some people around here who are like that, who actually think that people are good and man, they're wonderful and they just stand above everything and it's so magnificent. In fact, that people are gods. But you know... If you haven't been watching TV recently, you may not understand this. If you haven't been to a school recently, you may not understand this, but that's not the common belief anymore in the United States of America. Basically, the common belief now among us, and it seeps in even to the faithful Christian's life, is this. Human beings are nothing more than animals. Now, whether you believe in evolution or not is not the issue. The issue is, is our culture teaches us that the people who are sitting next to you are nothing more than animals. The only thing that makes them different from the worms crawling out there in the yard is that your molecules were lucky. You're just lucky mud. That's all you are. And you became a human being. Big deal. You wonder why, when you look at television, why people act like animals? It's because they've been told that's what they are. Now, when you think that people are nothing more than just animals, just lucky dirt, how can you love that? By the way, I have a dog that's a lot nicer than most people. But people, they're not so nice. How can you love animals. Well, here's the wonder of it all. That when Jesus said these words, he said them at a time when he and those that followed him understood what the Bible says about people. And it's not that people are gods, like the humanists would have told us. And it's not that people are animals that you can discard as worthless, just like you would some farm animal. But rather, Jesus knew that in the Bible, people are called something else. And it's a very special expression that describes people. Now, here I am among a bunch of Presbyterians. Did you know that? 
Now, if you didn't know this church was a Presbyterian church, let me just tell you, we're going to do a little family talk right now. And we're going to talk, it's sort of like I used to tell people, look, I know my dad dresses funny, but don't you tell him. I'll tell him, but don't you say a word to him. So here we are doing a little family talk here. And if we were talking to each other and if being honest with each other, and I were to say to you, when I say the words human being, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I say human being, what's the first word that wants to pop out of your mouth? And most of us would have to admit that what we'd all say to each other is human beings, sinners. Well, okay, if you have any doubt that you and I are sinners, just let me tell you this. You don't have to be an axe murderer to be a sinner. All you have to be is just a little bit imperfect. And as I've looked around the room this morning, I think that applies to everybody in here. All you have to be is just a tiny little bit imperfect, and you are what the Bible calls a sinner who needs to be saved from the judgment of God and can be saved through Christ. So, yeah, we are sinners, but you know, what makes it significant that you and I are sinners is something else that's true about us. Sometimes kept beneath the surface, hidden by our sins, and certainly corrupted by our sins, but it's something else that the Bible calls us. And it's one of those expressions that sounds religious and sounds very pious and good, but often we don't know what it means. It's the expression, people are the image and likeness of God. Now, mind you, they're not gods. But also, mind you, they're not animals. But also, mind you, while they are sinners... They are the image and the likeness of God. That was a word that back in the days of the Bible was largely reserved both in Israel and outside of Israel for one special kind of person. So it gives you an idea of what this is all about. A very special kind of person. In the ancient world of the Bible, the expression image of God, likeness of the gods, son of the gods, they all meant the same thing. It was a title that was reserved primarily for kings and emperors. And the reason for this was because in those days, this is what they believed about kings, not just in Israel, but even outside of Israel. They believed that kings were given a special place in this world, and their special role in the world was to learn what the gods in heaven wanted to happen and to make it happen on the earth. In fact, they entrusted the kings to make their will be done on earth as it is in heaven, much like Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. So now, when the Bible talks about the image and the likeness of God or the Son of God, talks about human beings, it's not talking about just kings. The wonder of the Bible is that it says that every single human being no matter what gender you are, no matter what class you are, no matter how much education you have, no matter what your job is, no matter what your family of origin is, no matter what your problems are, you are the image and the likeness of God. And God has entrusted to you the task of turning this earth into his kingdom. That's a marvelous thing. I don't know how anyone could ever want anything more honorable than that, than to actually be the instrument by which God turns this earth 
into a place that's so wondrous and so holy and so good that God himself will come and light up the world with his glory. Something that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. That's why God made people. That's why he put them on the planet. And that means that every single one of us in this room today has the value and the dignity and the worth and the significance of the greatest king that has ever lived on this planet. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead, look. I'm watching you. If you don't look, I'm going to make you do it up here. Got that person in eye? Okay. We're going to practice this for just a minute. Now, I know when you look at that person, what you see is sinner. Okay, you see a flawed person, okay? Let's admit it. We're all flawed. We all, you don't, you know, you may even have bad breath this morning. It's all right. But now what I want you to do is I want you to turn to that person and shake that person's hand, and I want you to look them in the eye and say this. Good morning, your majesty. Good morning, your majesty. That is what Jesus is calling you to love. One who has been put on this planet with the honor and the value and the significance of the image and the likeness of God. No wonder, Jesus said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, there are times when people become so evil that we have to oppose them in order to show love to others. We have to protect those that they harm. There's no doubt that those situations arise. But as you and I go through our daily lives, we must always be thinking in terms of getting into that other person's shoes and realizing what pain they have in life and what troubles they have in their lives and how God has made them his royal image. And for this reason, I will love my neighbor as I would want to be loved in that life that they have. I don't know about what it's like in your family, but my wife and I always found Sunday morning was the hardest time to love anybody, especially your family. I mean, you know what it's like, even when you're getting ready to preach. I'm so glad she didn't come this morning. We probably had one of our worst fights just as we're walking in the building. You know, you're driving on your way to church, you know, she's late again. Always she. Okay, you're driving the car. Oh, I need to get some coffee. We're going to be late. You're smacking the kids around in the back seat because they won't <laughs> shut up. You know what it's like. You're so angry with each other, but boy, you'll walk into this room and the music starts. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, yeah, it's great. Because you see, we think getting it straight with God is important. But what I do with my neighbor is not all that important. But see, the Bible honors people so much that it actually says this, a tree, a tree cannot produce good fruit and poisonous fruit at the same time. And therefore, you cannot praise God and curse his image at the same time. It is why the New Testament tells us 
Do not even talk about loving God whom you cannot see if you cannot love your brother whom you do see. You cannot walk until you crawl. And crawling is loving your neighbor as yourself. The Bible is very clear that this second greatest commandment is not a distant second, but a photo finish. So that if you love God, you will love the ones whom God loves. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And what a privilege it is to love the people who are sitting next to you today, who are in your homes, who are in your neighborhoods, who are at the office, knowing what they actually are, the stars of the universe. So what did Jesus mean? Love your neighbor like you would want to be loved if you were they. And who are these people we're supposed to love? They are the image and the likeness of God. But let's ask a third question. Why would we do that? When I think about the Christian faith, I can see all kinds of good reasons for loving God. Because God has reached out to us when we were turning away from him. He's giving his son Jesus to us who died on the cross to save us from our sins, resurrected on the third day. These are great gifts from God and it makes sense to me that I should love God and devote myself to him, to serve him because of what he has done for me. But frankly, when I look around at people around me, uh, many of them aren't doing anything for me. In fact, they're getting in the way. They often seem to be obstacles in life. So why should I care about them? In the Bible, when it speaks of love for God and love for neighbor and puts those together, it's a way of thinking that is foreign to us, but I'm going to remind you of it because it's so very important. In the world of the Bible, when great kings would speak to their nations, they would tell their nations, look, I've done all these wonderful things for you, so I want you to love me, which means I want you to serve me. I want you to be devoted to me. I want you to be loyal to me and have deep-seated affection for me. But those same great kings, very often in their writings, would send out writings around their vast empires that would stretch sometimes for thousands of miles. And they wouldn't tell their subjects simply, I want you to love me as your king. They would speak to their subjects and say this, I want you to love one another. So that if this community over here has a famine, the rest of you put your food together and take it over there. If somebody attacks that city, the rest of you come to their aid. If they have struggles over here, love one another, stand with each other, be allies with each other. Because kings in the ancient world understood something. You cannot have a vast and strong kingdom unless the people of the kingdom stand as allies with each other. Now here we are a people who call Jesus our king and who know that the good news that he proclaimed was the good news of his 
kingdom. A Jesus who tells us that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness above all other things. And what does love for neighbor tell us? It tells that, that for Jesus' kingdom to be strong and growing, we must stand with each other. The time for trivial problems is gone. The time for allowing ourselves to fight among ourselves is ended. The kingdom of Jesus in this city, in this state, in this country is in serious trouble. Now, don't worry, it's doing great elsewhere. But it's in serious trouble right now. And we do not have the luxury of doing what we used to be able to do of dividing and separating and hating and speaking evil against each other and mistreating each other as followers of Christ. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves because that is the way our king has ordained that his kingdom will prevail. Jesus himself said it in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He said, Father, Make them one as you and I are one so that the world may know that you sent me. Last week, I told you something that your pastor, Pastor Elbert, just probably can't say to you just out of humility. He won't say it to you, but I'll say it to you because I don't have any humility. No, no. <laughs> because it's not my church. Okay, so I can look at it from the outside and I can see things that you may not even see, much less be willing to admit. You have something that is absolutely fantastic here. And it's a story, as I said last week, that needs to be told around this city. The whole city should know how fantastic it is here. But let me tell you something about this church and how... Satan is determined to destroy it. It is not that he will take your eyes off of Jesus. It is not that he will take your eyes off of truth. You'll have Sunday school and you'll have people teaching the Bible no matter what happens in here. Let me tell you what he will do. He will enter into this church and divide this church turning you against each other over the most trivial things you can possibly imagine. And by doing that, he will have a victory over what God is doing in this church. And we must not be ignorant of his ways. And we must know that he has done this time and again in churches that are serving God and who have the potential of turning a city upside down like yours has. These People together in this church must stand as one people, one kingdom, undivided in love for each other. That is how Jesus' kingdom will prevail. There was a church, an early church in the city of Corinth, where they had forgotten this. It's a church in the city called Corinth. 
And in this church, they were very committed to their faith. They were very committed to God. They really liked this Jesus thing a lot. In fact, they wanted to be like super spiritual people. And so they started finding ways to be super spiritual people, to get further down the road toward heaven than anybody else. That was always the argument that they had. Who's closer to heaven than anybody else in the room? And so they would look at each other and say, oh, I am. Why you? Because I speak in tongues. No, 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 I am. Why? Because all I can do miracles. Now, I doubt that we have a lot of that going on here. But there was another party in that church. Didn't talk about speaking in tongues and how superior they were because of tongues or because of miracles. No, it wasn't that. This is what they said. We know the truth. We've got better doctrine than anybody. And that makes us closer to Jesus than anybody. And the rest of you are just second-class citizens. Get out of my way. And on the basis of that kind of pride and arrogance, they started dividing their church and the Apostle Paul warned them. He warned them severely in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beware the one who destroys the temple of God, the church God will destroy. You want to have a reason for loving the people next to you? Do it for your king. If you can't do it because of who they are or just because it flows out of you to love the people around you, do it for your king. And in that very same epistle, the Apostle Paul, in that very well-known chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the one that they read at every wedding, you know, love is patient, love is kind, that nice thing. They're playing music in the background usually <laughs> while they do this. <laughs> He said something that was absolutely remarkable after he went through all the ways in which you should love other people. A lot like Leviticus chapter 19, by the way. Patience, kindness, giving the benefit of the doubt, taking care of the weak, things like that. But at the end of it, this is what he said. He said, you know, there really are three big things in our faith, in our religion. Really three big things. And they are faith, hope, and love. Now, can you imagine anything being more important to Christianity than faith? I mean, we say we're saved by faith. How could there be anything more significant than that? But he says there is. Can you think of anything in our desperate existence in this world today, anything more important than hope that things are going to change one day? That when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, that the world will be the kind of place God wants it to be. Is there anything more important than hope? Well, the apostle says, yes, there is. Because he says in that very same passage, one day faith will disappear. It will not be something that you're having faith in anymore. It will be reality. And he says... Hope, it's also going to disappear. Why? Because all for which you hope now will one day be yours. But he said of these three, faith, hope, and love, one is the most important of all. The greatest of these is love. So, Redeemer Church, you want to know how you're doing on this spiritual walk? How close you are to heaven? How much God has blessed you? How much the Holy Spirit is filling your life? 
how much of the blessings of Jesus you experience. Don't be talking about things like, I speak in tongues. I do miracles. I have the right doctrine. Don't even be talking about how much faith you have or how much hope you have. The real issue is there is one thing that exists now and will exist forever in the world to come. And that one thing is love. Wouldn't it be great that when we examined our pastors to become a new pastor in a church, that the first question that was always asked of that person is, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Wouldn't it be great is that when we have officers elected in this church, that the main question that's asked of that officer is, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Wouldn't it be great that when you take your membership vows in this church, that the main question they ask you is, by God's grace, do you promise to love your neighbor as yourself? Because that is the test of the person who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus just couldn't stop talking, could he? Like that lawyer, we could all agree with him that loving God's the most important thing in, in the universe, and now we can all go home and just go back to the way we do things. But he wouldn't stop talking. The second one is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Now you know what that means. Now you know who they are. And now you know why Jesus wants you to do it. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bless you because you loved us so much, so tenderly, so kindly every day of our lives. But we confess to you that it's ever so easy for us to forget this part of your word and it's ever so difficult for us to live it together. And so we pray Holy Spirit, a simple but utterly important prayer. Holy Spirit, make us like Jesus. And we will give you the praise and we will give you the honor. Amen.